0: Your headphones on
1: hi and welcome back to spread aviation this is episode 19 a lot has happened since episode 18 uh, we, we still tr- haven't
0: been sponsored by cave shake <laughs> nope nope, we have no um how are your holidays very nice i was, I was uh i was down in the uh, west palm oh nice not because i'm that fancy but because spirit airlines is that cheap how cheap is it anyway and Isn't that the airline that ATC
1: memes always makes fun of that nobody bought like the GPS option so yeah. they had to nav with old navy You have to navigate war to yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: pay to put the gear oh, down. Man. Yeah. Well, well I mean, actually the good actually, news is it wasn't wait, it wasn't that way.
1: Hold on. Yeah. There was actually a story I read the other day about uh an airline that landed, it was Air, it was Air France, and they landed in a place they didn't typically have a crew and they had to have some maintenance done and they borrowed cash from the passengers to settle okay, the maintenance bill. I did see something right? like that. I don't
0: remember where it is, but yes.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's a true story. So I guess, you know, as professional as airlines well, can be, sometimes... It's,
0: <laughs> it's true as far as we did absolutely no background <laughs> research. We it's a true ha- story
1: because it was on the
0: internet. Yeah, it was on the internet. And George Washington internet, told us that yes. that's fine.
1: <laughs> I'm tired.
0: <laughs> Thank goodness for caffeine. That's indeed, all I can say about indeed. that. Indeed, uh, Indeed. I thought you were doing the no coffee thing. Oh, no. No, 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 You don't get this much energy with that. So coffee I'm still not the biggest fan of, and I know that's sacrilege in New England. Yeah. However, yeah, the the experiment with no caffeine at times was successful, but you got to do the risk-reward research on that one, and it turns out that there's a much higher risk of me being grouchy if uh, I'm not on caffeine and i'm um, i'm much happier and much more productive and that means everyone else is happier if i'm uh if i'm if i'm caffeinated so. now, do you think you are a better pilot on
1: caffeine or not on caffeine oh and let's let's talk about let's talk about no, well let's talk about no caffeine green tea and then
0: coffee so I haven't really done the research on on green tea but I'm just talking about you personally yeah I have no idea okay. I, I can't even I don't even try know green what tea. green tea is so green tea is
1: made from the same all tea comes from the same leaf when you think about when you hear this herbal tea stuff that's not actually tea um, it's herbs but black tea green tea white tea it's all different parts of the same plant
0: parts of the, uh, or, parts or, or, of the or the way or sorry the plant. it's
1: the way that it's processed from what I understand I'm not a tea expert okay we'll probably get some emails about this I really doubt it our audience is really small <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, it's this not. This is the Tea it's Talk actually... podcast. Thank you. This is Matt and Rob today talking about the leaves of tea from Patagonia.
1: Oh, that'll have to be our April Fool's Day uh, episode. But um, so, from what I understand, the caffeine effects of green tea are are canceled out by this thing that begins with an L. I can't remember what it's called. Lichens. S Lea something.
0: This and. is what happens when we don't follow the Trello. <laughs> hold on, we had this
1: whole thing organized. Hold on. Hold on. hold on, hold on. So, so, so the green tea—it it has a calming effect to it, as well as making you alert. Whereas coffee, up, down, right. Oh, so there's an up, there's a down, and there's an up, there's a crash. And so, uh, I would actually, th- I think you should do a green tea 30-day trial. I'll do it with you. Pick a month. Just do nothing but green tea and see see what it does. We can barely get together to record podcast episodes, and you want to do a month long experiment on. Well, I mean, I'm I'm not going to fly with you, but I'll, I mean, I will fly with you. But I'm talking, about, I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about I'm talking about I do green tea for a month, doing my thing. You do green tea for a month, flying, and, and we share the results. What well, do you, think? you thought that the caffeine made you sweat more. Caffeine does make me sweat more. That's that's. Thinking proven. about caffeine makes me sweat more. I don't want to touch you. <laughs> I don't want to touch the throttle after you. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about that, Um but yeah, my my second solo. Uh Oh yeah, I remember. I had had nothing but a cold brew that morning, and Not I literally, good. I Not literally, good. cold brew coffee is is like the difference between me drinking a Dunkin' Donuts medium coffee versus a Starbucks cold brew is ridiculous because Starbucks way. coffee is stronger anyway. Mm-hmm. But then now remember cold brew is not iced coffee. People no. think cold brew is iced coffee. Cold brew is the beans soaked overnight so they absorb more of the caffeine, they absorb more of the flavor, it's a, a stronger much coffee. Yeah. Right? And also that a lot of times cold brew is supposed to be diluted, but it's up to the, there's no real standard, so it's up to the person yeah. about how much water they're adding to it, which also has effects on how much caffeine you get. So sometimes from a from a cold brew you could be getting twice or three times the amount of caffeine that you would from like a regular brewed coffee do you remember that place we
0: went to in the vineyard that uh, was doing the cold brew coffee yes uh, yeah do, how, how would you say that that compares to the starbucks or do you even remember i don't remember okay. but starbucks coffee I, I can't have even a small starbucks coffee cold brew i'll start shaking and then does caffeine come from the bean or how does caffeine get into coffee because there's decaf coffee, right? Or is that
1: just... Well, decaf coffee. There's multiple ways that they can decaffeinate something. There's a chemical way of doing it, and there's this new modern way that doesn't use the chemical. I'm not a coffee expert. Again, we'll probably get an email about this. No, again, <laughs> <while>. <laughs> I'm sure somebody out Hello there knows at all about aviation. this. But 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 seriously, I, I had had it, I was in a cold brew fix because cold brew uh, is a. It's basically I thought that having less acidic coffee would help my stomach mm. and cold brew is less acidic because it's not brewed hot it never gets hot right so, so so but the side effect of it being less acidic is it also has more caffeine wait could you cold brew and then heat up Ooh, what would that do that would both make it now i don't know if See, he, i would just take the cold brew coffee put it in the microwave
0: that's possible. Because then it's not on the bean.
1: That's the possible. Is not on the bean. Maybe. I'm not sure about that. I mean, at that point, I mean, Cobra, Cobra Cofri is literally you're soaking the beans in water.
0: I got you excited. You said coffee. <laughs> Sorry.
1: The reason oh, I'm saying coffee is because we're looking Capital at each other
0: in the window or in the reflection <laughs> in a window right now because we're still the man cave is still in, in in its destroyed phase.
1: So so the reason that I said coffee is because the Capital One cafes give out these coffee. <laughs> hold on, I'm serious. I got you. They give out these coffee free cards. It's C O F R E E. It's their way of giving you a free drink, and they call them coffee cards. So when I say coffee, sometimes I say coffee. Nice. All right. Well, let's back to the topic at hand. Uh, we got so, a
0: topic. <laughs> 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 so seriously. Am I a better I, pilot on caffeine or, or not? Well, hold on. Okay.
1: Hold on. Cold brew coffee, because of the fact that it is more concentrated and you're relying on the person making it to actually figure out how concentrated the coffee is, combined with the fact that it has more caffeine in general because it was cold brewed instead of brewed brewed hot, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's one, unpredictable, and two, uh, I react to it. Uh, you know, I've learned that that if I'm going to have coffee, it has to be either iced coffee or hot coffee. Now, what that means is that there's more acidic in both because iced coffee is just hot coffee poured over ice, which is Uh different than cold brew. Yeah. Um, I have to watch myself because then it affects my stomach even though I don't get as caffeinated. So the best thing for me is actually not to drink coffee at all. The best thing for me is to drink uh tea or something called runa, which I really, really like. It's Yeah, uh, you've uh, it's you a, showed it's, up with that before. Yeah, it's a Gaiusa. I I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I'm sure we'll get an email. Uh it's like it's a Gaiusa berry from the Amazon, uh-huh. Amazonian Rainforest. And you can also buy it on Amazon.com, but you know, so it both applies. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> I'm making a phone call to a chef. Okay hey hey what's up? you are live on spread aviation podcast right now hey what's up uh we have a question about coffee okay What's up? Uh, <laughs> you keep saying what's up like <laughs> i know what's going on uh matt the, so this is okay. this is juice box you remember juice box from the web? hey matt
1: i do remember juice box nice. um so we were talking about cold brew coffee versus uh hot coffee traditional coffee This. You know, uh, brewed hot, which is more acidic, potentially less caffeinated. And then we were also talking about um, something called runa, uh, which is, I think, something called a gaiusa. I don't know how to pronounce it. From But basically, it has similar effects to green tea, which has something in it that both gives you caffeine and also has like a calming effect. And so I was talk was talking to Rob on this episode about how I can't have cold brew anymore uh, because even though it's less acidic, it-, it gives me the jitters, especially like Starbucks cold brew, which is much more concentrated and also has a-, a lot higher caffeine content. And-, and then he called you,
0: so. Okay, so I called you to be like, okay, where does the acidity in coffee come from? Is it from the process or is it always in the bean or do you know? No. Um, okay, so the, bitterness in coffee is from tannins which is the same thing that gives like uh, wine a slightly better note um, beer a slightly better note it's it's the tannins so what what the advantage cold brew coffee has is because when you brew the coffee beans uh, using cold water it doesn't activate as much of those tans, so the coffee tends to be a little bit sweeter versus like hot coffee which essentially like causes it to, the tannins to seep out Okay, so, so it's and You're still getting the same amount. You're still getting the same amount of caffeine in both. Yeah, but you're just not. It's just not activating the tan. So the cold brew tends to be a little bit sweeter. Not to be confused with thetans from the Church of Scientology. Correct.
1: So, so is cold brew? Cold brew typically, to me, has more caffeine in it. I feel the effects way more. Is that because maybe the places I'm going to aren't diluting it with water enough? Because or think, they're not. I they're
0: not. I, I think it's just more due to the fact that just like like the longer you let the tea
1: seep in the water you get more of the effect from the bean got it from the yep. leaves. and this way it's the same thing with the beans it's like if you're leaving it in, and typically you leave
0: cold brew in for a while so it's probably just seeping into the water a little bit more all right got it cool so yeah this is else. this is chef Matt from uh, kitchen instruments so check out his youtube channel kitchen instruments uh, matt anywhere else you want people to be able to reach you
1: uh let's see i'm on instagram i'm on uh i'm on youtube obviously and i'm also uh, i have a website
0: at kitcheninstruments.com kitcheninstrumentsonline.com <laughs> kitchen oh kitcheninstrumentsonline.com okay Online.com,
1: yeah. matt before we hang up i looked up the green tea thing and it's uh i thought it had an s in it but it doesn't it's l theanine in green tea uh, and it has supposedly a calming effect alongside the caffeine content. Uh, before we called you I was talking to Rob about how he should do a, a thirty day green tea challenge when he flies and see if that both makes him more alert and, and a more focused, calm flyer at the same time.
0: There you so, go. I don't know I if you think he should do it. Yeah. All right. Well thanks, <laughs> thanks Matt. Hey, anytime. So, yeah, the green teeth. How did we get here? So you had uh, originally asked a question about whether I think I fly better or am a better pilot on caffeine. Well,
1: I was going to talk about my second. The funny part is neither of us are on caffeine right now. We're kind of all over the place on this. But
0: um, I was
1: going to talk about my second uh, solo. Yeah, go ahead. Because I had a cold brew that morning and nothing in my stomach. And um, I, I believe it was a lot of caffeine, which made me a little bit too alert a little shaky and at the same time because I didn't have uh anything in my stomach my my sugar dropped yeah and uh you know I ended I, I did fine I mean you know you, you you fly the airplane fly the airplane fly the airplane but I did one loop and I said hey I'm not going up not again. a loop a lap
0: <laughs> you, didn't a loop. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't do a loop you did a lap <laughs> I did one
1: lap around the pattern. No, I did one loop. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, you're right.
0: But yeah, once your blood sugar dropped, you were hypoglycemic, and I now did, the yeah. body is like, is is running on is producing lactic acid at a higher rate and not able to process information in the same way. So your brain function is actually reduced at that point. Yep. And fine motor skills drop rapidly, and you'll start to feel weird. You'll feel woozy, you'll lightheaded, dizzy. You could get all those different symptoms, even nausea. Have you ever felt that way in the airplane? Absolutely. Um, my first, my first uh, flight in college was with, was with a buddy named Ben Galloway, and I didn't know any better at the time. But we were up in a Cessna 150, and we were up doing uh, hard, hard turns and uh, some s- stalls and spins and stuff. And it wasn't anything that I was at all prepared for, and I hadn't eaten anything that day. And I got sick on that flight uh, as a as a freshman in college who was kind of hardcore. I want to be a pilot someday, dude. And uh, I didn't really know why until years later when I started flying aerobatics and studying physiology a lot closer uh, to to why that actually happened. And uh, now I've got a really, really good track record of people who I take for first flights or even first aerobatic flights of not getting them sick, even people who have been prone to air sickness in the past. Uh, and And the big thing I tell them is make sure you eat and as my mentor once uh, was, was one to say, uh, eat till you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be thinking about your stomach either way. Like, oh, I ate too much or, oh, I wish I'd eaten more. No, no, no. Uh, you don't want to be thinking about your stomach either way.
1: And this is one reason why, uh, you know, especially at EFA where Rob used to work, um, where there was Rob, there was a box
0: of donuts. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I always had donuts, especially on the weekend. And uh, people who were coming out for first flights I'd make them eat a donut before we stepped to the airplane, and uh, none of them ever got sick.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So. Well, I remember uh, when we were
1: flying with Sarah this past June, and she showed up and hadn't eaten breakfast yet, and I I took a big risk because I was waiting for you to yell at me and say I was doing something wrong, but I said, no, you got to eat before we go up. Yeah. Got to eat something. Got to eat something.
0: Yeah, I just had some people for an airman's flight the other day, and I got a couple of uh, fig bars out of, the, uh, out of the vending machine and made sure they ate them. Uh, before we got in the airplane. Okay. No, this episode is not sponsored by Fig Bars. Or fake RX Bars. bars, bars. <laughs> so speaking of products, yeah. <laughs> um, Rob and I have
1: been trying to think about Ways that we can, uh, you know, have an online store and 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 offer spread aviation merchandise. And we've been trying to decide between bars that have some moisture in them, so they're good for hydration as well as uh, giving you that
0: that quick sugar boost you might need. Which uh, sounds weird know. to me. So I need I need to taste a sample. Yeah, if, yeah. if you bring samples. I, I to have an know. idea. I have an idea. I'm
1: uh, we'll call them uh, aviation bars or something like that. Or we didn't I have a cool name for them. I thought I came up with a cool um, name for them.
0: I don't recall. I
1: mean, I can go back. To Check the- your text. I thought I came up with a cool name for them, Pilot Bars or something like that. It had an aviation name to it. Or the second product is that we are believing, we're thinking we're going to sell spread aviation apple butter. Apple butter. Um, the only spread you'll ever need two spreads, Spread Aviation and Apple Butter spread. <laughs> so if you like Apple
0: Butter, we're working on Spread Aviation Apple Butter, so stay tuned. And so if send you- us an email at hello <laughs> at spreadaviation.com if yep. you think Apple Butter is a great idea. If you think Apple Butter is a terrible idea, <laughs> send us an email at hello at spreadaviation.com today. <laughs> I'm trying or to think. of Tomorrow some, or peanut butter, whatever. Apple yeah, butter, peanut butter. Great. Like, what other spreads are there? I mean, we could do like spread aviation jelly. We could, but uh, butter. It's not. Yeah. What are the spreads? Uh, we could start a betting palace <laughs> and gamble, and people could try to beat the spread aviation. Oh, yeah. We could have a racing series. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I
1: don't, I don't know. know. There are so many puns that we'll be able to do off of our name. We love our name for so many different reasons. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of. Let's see. How do I? How do I transition? Oh, you're here. gonna try and segue. You gotta try and pull the segue out of that. <laughs> try to segue. All right, we were talking about my lap around the pattern. We were talking about my lap around the pattern being caffeinated, empty stomach, not feeling so well, and uh, there's a chance. There's a there's a higher chance of loss of control in flight, perhaps. And because of that, there's a there's a higher chance of. F- perhaps stall spin. And what are you talking about? We have 12 stall spin mitts uh, that we're going to talk
0: about on today's podcast. Okay. I all missed right. your entire like segue into that. But it worked. It did it? Yeah. <laughs> I got distracted by an email that we got from uh, an avid listener uh, named Hillary. <laughs> she said, apple butter is a terrible idea. You're an <laughs> aviation company. She's in the other room. <laughs> These all walls right. are not soundproof at all. <laughs> Oh, man, we need the man cave back. All right, so these 12 stall spin myths are uh, published in the book The Light Airplane Pilot's Guide to Stall Spin Awareness by the spin master, Rich Stoll. And Rich Stoll is um, a, a man whom oh, he has uh, participated in the flight testing community environment and the education, uh, the aviation education system for a very, very long time. He's a man that I look up to. And uh, he recently retired. He actually retired uh, this year, but uh, he's he's still going to be an active pilot, just not as uh, heavy on the on the teaching side of things. Uh, but he he has this list of twelve stall spin myths that are in his book, uh, the Light Airplane Pilot's Guide to Stall Spin Awareness. So, without further ado, myth number one: flying too slowly. Causes stalls. I hear about this a lot, especially um, on news reports when airplane crashes uh, occur and the, the 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 talking heads are doing their thing. They say the airplane flew too slowly, so it stalled. And while there is a relationship there, there's little more to it. The reality, as Rich writes, astute as the brothers were, even Orville and Wilbur Wright erroneously believed that stalling was related to slow airspeed. Angle of attack is the defining parameter for the stall. Thus, airspeed by itself is useless as an indicator of our margin to the stall. Yet the airspeed myth persists, often being reinforced by the simplistic wings-level 1G stalls practiced repeatedly for check rides. Now, my students, I make sure that we we stall in turns, coordinated turns, uncoordinated turns, slipping, skidding, and uh, they get to experience accelerated stalls from a very early um, level in their in their flight training usually pretty solo
1: and can you define accelerated stalls?
0: Uh, a, any stall that occurs at higher than than uh, the published stall speed for the aircraft, so VSO vs1 depending on what you got. and uh, i'll I'll take them up to 80 knots roll the airplane to 45 degrees and have them pull back on the yoke and uh, activate that stall horn. And if the airplane stalls, you, know, you know, great, they get to see it there. But there's a whole exercise that goes with it even before that, that shows turn the stall horn on by pulling back, shut it off by relaxing that back pressure on the yoke or the stick or the side stick, whatever you've got. And it's the same corrective at input. When you stall in the accelerated regime, up at eighty knots or seventy or, or wherever you are below VA, is it's to relax that back pressure. But the airplane stalls or gives you that stall warning, stall warning indications at the same stick or yoke position, pretty much every single time, regardless of what you're flying. So it's it's all about that angle of attack. Now speaking of accelerated stalls, if you're you know
1: in a nose dive down to the ground, pulling up at that point will probably cause a stall because you're changing the angle of attack, so you have to do it slowly.
0: Well, it's right? not necessarily just about the speed, but it, it, it's it's about the yoke's position, okay? Mm-hmm. And in a nose-down situation where you have a windscreen full of ground, most pilots don't react in a rational manner. They don't sit there going, oh, this is a very bad situation. I need to correct this uh, as rapidly as possible. They panic and they go, oh! they with herculean strength pull that yoke all the way back to the stop and the airplane loads up a bunch of g loads up a bunch of angle of attack but very quickly exceeds the critical angle of attack and the airplane stalls and that's where the uh, sb2c helldiver kind of got its uh, reputation was uh, that they would roll in on no target to dive bomb it get up a bunch of speed, release the bombs, and the pilots would pull back really hard on the stick, and the airplane would change pitch attitude, but it wouldn't change direction. It would still be going down, and now it would be stalled. Mm. as It had very, very effective tail surfaces, as um, tailwheel airplanes are designed to do. So control that angle of attack. Moving on. Okay, number two. Myth number two, stalls, cause, spins. and Reality. Two elements must be present in order for an airplane to spin, stall and yaw. By themselves, neither stalling nor yawing result in spinning. However, simultaneously stalling with sufficient yawing always results in a spin.
1: Can I question that last sentence? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I've read somewhere that there are certain airplanes that they're really hard to put into a spin. You could put them into a spiral, but that it won't always result in a spin is that... Like some of the Cessna 172 models, for example. Is that true or is that false?
0: Uh, it's partial truth. Okay, so spinning and spinning like garbage are definitely two different properties. All right, there are a lot of airplanes out there that claim to be spin resistant, um, but that is not absolutely 100% spin proof. The Icon A5 is an airplane that boasts very highly its spin resistance, and that's due to a couple different factors. Um, The Cirrus is also very, very spin resistant. They have the modified outboard leading edge. They have little tiny elevators. They have uh, smallish rudders, so you don't have the ability to get the airplane to uh, experience yawing moments that would result in the the 1G power off uh, spin inputs. Uh, or, or spin entries. However, if you have as little as a half ball out of uncoordination in a skidding manner, it is completely possible that any one of those airplanes, the Icon A five or the uh, the Cirrus, will enter into a spin. And it's whether you're not you're going to have enough control authority to get the thing out, and or the altitude to get the airplane out of the spin. Uh, so you really need to be aware of the spin recovery procedure for the airplane that you're flying regardless of its advertised resistance to spins. And one of the areas that um, you could certainly find yourself in a stall spin scenario is in the accelerated regime, which normally you would be experiencing on say the base to final overshoot. You're still going faster than the 1G stall speed, but the Elevator's coming back, the ailerons are outside the turn, the rudder's to the inside. You're feeding all these different yaws and increasing the angle of attack. And if you exceed the critical angle of attack with the inside wing, that's it. She's going and you're along for the ride. So the best prevention here is to understand your proximity to the critical angle of attack and exactly what inputs you're commanding on the airplane. And the only way you can get that is through effective training. Now, Cirrus does a really, really good job with their uh, Cirrus standardized instructor pilots and their, their uh, manufacturer developed curriculum. They're doing a fantastic, fantastic job with it. Um, but we need to push good information so that we continue to make general aviation as safe as possible.
1: Now, with the smaller control surfaces in a Cirrus, like an SR-20, SR 22 is the procedure uh, pair or is it pull the chute?
0: Um, Or yes. (laughs) (laughs) I am not as familiar with the Cirrus. Did I just stump you? (laughs) Well, what's the answer whenever you don't know something?
1: Look at the manual. I don't know, but
0: I can find out. Look at the manual. There's what I would do with altitude, and there's what the manual says.
1: Reading from chapter three. Cirrus sr 20 the sr 20 is not approved for spins and has not been tested or certified for spin recovery characteristics the only approved and demonstrated method of spin recovery is activation of the Cirrus airframe parachute system because of this if the aircraft departs controlled flight the caps must be deployed
0: which i mean it's is absolutely the right thing to do and you don't want to be a test pilot Okay, if you find yourself in a situation where you have lost control of the aircraft and you have a tool such as the caps, use it. All right? Um however, I would like you to avoid the loss of control condition situation scenario and uh, avoid stalling the airplane and especially avoid stalling the airplane while uncoordinated. So, that should help keep most situations beyond the, uh, out of the loss of control in flight that aren't maybe weather or uh, wake turbulence related. Uh, okay, number three. All cross-controlled flight increases your stall spin potential. mm reality. Cross-controlled flight comes in two basic flavors. Skids, bad, and slips. Skids tend to have a greater stall spin potential than coordinated flight. Slips, on the other hand, tend to have a lower stall spin potential than even coordinated flight. So the airplane is even more resistant to entering into a, uh, a spin if you are slipping the airplane, uh, mainly because if a wing is gonna stall, it's gonna be the high wing, which will immediately drop through the nose and lower the angle of attack anyway and give you an opportunity right away uh, to, to recover from that situation.
1: Now isn't there a situation though where you can be slipping, enter a stall, And then not correct the stall, and then therefore quickly get into a skidding
0: situation. Yes. Where you then... It's called an over-the-top entry. And you would have to be holding in those inputs so long for it to cross all the way from uh, one side to the other. And all the while, while that's happening, you'd have to continue to hold the yoke uh, all the way back, especially in these light airplanes. Uh, Although there's some airplanes that do have a little worse... Uh, Characteristics and that are a little more rapid to swap ends But yeah, the the over-the-top is one of the demonstrated spin entries that uh, is on YouTube on Rich Stoll's channel uh, For uh, the uh, live spin demonstration over Cascade Airport
1: It'd be really good, it's it's not good to talk about now But we should at some point talk about things like forward slips versus side slips And how a slip maybe on approach is different than uh, Just not applying enough rudder in a turn yeah. For example. Yeah.
0: Good um, technique. Intentional yeah. technique versus accidental garbage technique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Myth number four: If you inadvertently stall or spin, just let go of the controls. Uh, reality, aerodynamics, human factors, and the practicalities of the situation can conspire to make this advice suspect. Number 1. Some light airplanes might be able to self-recover from the early stages of some stalls and spins. However, letting go of the controls a bit later in the process or under a different set of conditions may not result in recovery at all. 2. Letting go of the controls during a surprise stall spin is not a natural instinct. Clutching the stick or yoke even tighter is a more common reaction. We see panic pulls all the time. That was me adding a note. Number three, the majority of stall spin accidents occur at or below traffic pattern altitude. Even if the airplane can self-recover and the pilot is capable of instantly releasing the controls, more altitude will likely be consumed compared to a prompt application of precisely choreographed recovery controls. I demonstrate this a lot in the airplanes, um, and I will show the students Uh, an immediate reaction to a known entry. And my record for recovery using abrupt and aggressive control inputs is 400 feet of altitude loss. Wow! So even knowing it's coming (laughs) with no startle factor, with no surprise, the airplane still manages to roll about 90 degrees. And then I've got a stop the rolling, right the airplane, cancel the yaw, uh, unload the wing, re-roll to upright, and and then get it climbing again. And my record on that is 400 feet of altitude loss. Now, if you consider where you are base to final, that might get you upright just prior to impact, or impact with the trees. You know, a lot of it depends on some of the terrain, the type of aircraft, and the amount of delay it took you as the pilot to react and put in the control inputs to fix the situation. Whereas, if you had just avoided it as a pilot, in the first place, kept the ball centered, and not stalled the airplane, you wouldn't have a problem. So, if you do overshoot, just go around. All right, myth number five. So, so questions ah, moving on. Yeah,
1: no, I got a question. So, you always talk about the ball being centered and potentially even just half a ball out. How, as little as a half ball. As little out. as a half a ball out. What's important for people to understand is there's there's so much more than just half a ball out because I remember when I first started um I got so obsessive with the half a ball out thing. It wasn't just you that told me, and it was other people that I I began to 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 like focus on the ball instead of looking out of the airplane on my on my base to final and that's obviously not something you want to get into it's 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 about having a balance right yeah you don't want to be
0: inside the cockpit at um, that
1: phase so so like i think it is important what you say it's important to share that as little as half a ball uh uh, outside of center could put you into a situation where you uh could lead to a spin entry yeah could could lead to a spin entry but there's so much more than that too you have to be in a skid and you have to stall
0: yeah and uh The super decathlon which we use for a lot of this training doesn't have a ball in it. at least our super decathlon does not have a ball in it and That was intentional when we bought it when you are maneuvering the airplane uh, The best practice is up at altitude to do these coordination rolls roll 30 degrees left Stop the roll roll 30 degrees right stop the roll and keep the nose on a point. These are uh Formally, uh, or, or commonly uh, referenced as as Dutch rolls, but these are not Dutch rolls. Dutch rolls are, are, are a yaw roll coupling in a swept wing aircraft, and they're a very bad thing. Uh, I call these this maneuver coordination rolls because the purpose of it is to learn coordination. Um, I don't think the Dutch had anything to do with it, so. In this, in the exercise, you get to learn what the airplane looks like, what it looks like out the front of the aircraft as the airplane rolls in a coordinated manner. And so when you are maneuvering the airplane at low altitude, by looking out front, you can see exactly what the airplane's doing, whether you're doing a good job with the coordination, whether the nose is dropping, rising, and all those kinds of things. You can see just by looking right out front, right in front of the airplane, and uh, it'll tell you a lot. The nose nose. So you don't necessarily have to be inside the cockpit to figure out what good quality technique is. And the other side of that coin, too, is the ball is a lag instrument. So while you're doing coordination rolls, you may actually see deflection of the ball, but the nose hasn't gone anywhere. And if you are using good technique, it's possible that the ball could be swinging, especially depending on how far out to the left or right of the longitudinal axis the ball is mounted. So and there's a lot of different factors there as to what the ball is telling you, however, The nose rolling pure around the longitudinal axis is going to be your best indicator as to whether you're coordinated or not. All right, myth number five. During recovery from upright spins, the elevator should not be moved forward until rotation ceases. Uh uh. Reality. Although opposite rudder alone may affect recovery in some airplanes in the early stages of some spins, it may not be sufficient by itself for recovery from fully developed or aggravated spins. Therefore, pilots should not rely on opposite rudder alone during spin recovery. Pilots should always expect the need for full opposite rudder followed by forward movement of the elevator control to terminate spinning, regardless of the airplane or the type of upright spin encountered. You have to... Eliminate the ingredients that are making the spin happen, and that is stall plus yaw. The rudder is there to dampen the yaw. The elevator input is there to reduce the angle of attack. You must get both wings below the critical angle of attack, or else the forces will continue to feed the auto-rotation. You will not have a stopping of the rotation until that elevator control comes forward. Unless you're an airplane with a really, really weak elevator, or some loadings, but it takes that positive input from the pilot. Otherwise, with that opposite rudder in, if you continue to hold the controls back, you could actually enter an accelerated spin in the opposite direction that you were just in, because now the airplane, for that brief second where this rotation stopped, the airplane has built and added energy. And it's still stalled, so then it snaps off in the other direction even faster than it was going to the left. It's a very, very disorienting thing to happen. And if I do demo that with a pilot, I save it till the very, very end because that's when I have had people actually get ill. It was a long time ago, and it's only been one person, but you don't want to take the chance either. Now,
1: a question on this. I know typically pairs power idle, ailerons neutral, opposite rudder, and... uh, elevator forward but is there a way can you do these in two sets of two for example can you do power idle ailerons neutral as one set and then opposite rudder and elevator forward as another
0: Um, or do you you have to
1: do the the opposite rudder first before you push that stick forward oh I
0: see what you're saying Um,
1: does one have to come before the other yeah
0: because if uh, a lot of this can be simultaneous but let's say that you still had the uh, left rudder Uh, let's say it's a left rudder spin that you intentionally entered. If you have the left rudder in, the elevator back, the airplane enters into the developed phase, and then you put the stick forward, you have now decreased the distance between the center of gravity and what's known as the spin axis. It's, It's the center of the rotation for the spin. And What I want you to imagine, because this is a little tough to picture, is the figure skater at the Olympics, when they do their little pirouettes and they're spinning on the ice and their arms are out wide, there's a big distance between their hands and their center of gravity, which is say their chest. Now when they bring their arms in really tight to their body, what happens to the rate of rotation? speeds up. It speeds up. So if you put that elevator forward, yes, the nose will come down, but this will make the center of gravity and the spin axis come closer together, increasing the rate of rotation. And we frequently, in the aerobatic world, in the aerobatic competition world, will use that to our advantage to accelerate our snap rolls to make the airplane go even faster around. Uh, and then we will stop that snap roll. We will stop that spin with the opposite rudder and usually then a neutral application of the elevator. Uh, and it's it's. Amazing how much that accelerates the rate
1: of rotation. Now that's a lot of awesome information. I, I don't think it answers my question. Oh, sorry. I think, I think my question was specifically: Can you apply, uh, can you push the stick, ap- apply forward elevator at the same time that you apply opposite rudder, or does the elevator change have to occur even a second or two second or a half a second after? The um the opposite rudder.
0: Oh no, uh, you can do them same time. Uh, there's no time requirement for in between that you have to wait for the uh, the opposite rudder to have a dampening effect. Um, so it 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 really the problem with that I have in the airplane with with teaching pair is not with the procedure itself, but that students think that there needs to be so much time. Uh, when really you can execute the elements of pair faster than you can say them power idle ailerons neutral rudder opposite elevator forward if i was in the real airplane in a real spin in a real emergency those all four would basically be happening at the exact same time got it to to really have the fastest recovery possible got it now There are a lot of different variables there, okay? (laughs) Depending on how much power was in, uh, depending on the rate of rotation already, uh, how much time is going to pass before the airplane actually recovers is gonna vary. Um, If the power was full in a left-hand spin, the spin may be very, very flat, have a high pitch attitude, and it will take more time for the nose to get down, the angle of attack to go down, and then the rotation to be dampened there's some variables there, whereas if it just went in and the nose was really low already and you got to unload the airplane in the early incipient phase, which is the unstable phase, uh, you may have a faster stopping of the rotation, but then you're gonna have more attitude to change uh, because you'll be very, very nose down at that point, possibly even inverted. You'll have to roll the airplane back upright and then go for the climb again. Um, and, And there you have to be careful about too much elevator input resulting in a secondary stall so gotta watch out for those on the recovers cool number six during spins the slip skid indicator shows spin direction reality the slip skid ball is totally unreliable while spinning in the book they talk about uh, some tests they did where they took the uh, slip skid indicator and installed multiple in different spots on the dash. And during spins, they would have opposite indications from both, Uh, and and therefore you cannot trust what you're seeing on that slips skid indicator. The uh, rate of turn indicator, if the airplane is equipped, is gonna be a decent tool, uh, but it can be fooled. Uh, and the one that really works is if uh, you, you press on the up rudder or uh, the, the rudder that is displaced towards you uh, That should be your opposite rudder So if you ever really get lost in that that's one of the ways you can tell but uh, Relying on the instrumentation may not be the best uh, the best tool uh, Myth number seven The longer an airplane stays in the spin, the more airspeed it gains and the faster it rotates. No! This is absolutely false. Reality, the spin is a high drag maneuver. You are stalled. Your wings are producing a lot of drag. Uh, the The airframe is producing a lot of drag. Consequently, airspeed will not continue to increase, but will generally stabilize at a relatively low and constant value. And once the spin develops, usually two or four turns, rate of rotation will stabilize as well. And that's the difference between the incipient phase, the unstable phase, and the developed phase. Now, in the developed phase, the airplane is in an auto rotation. All the forces have normalized, have equalized, and are in in equilibrium. So if you let go of the controls, in the developed phase they will fall to pro spin inputs and they will continue the airplane will continue uh, as if it was fat and happy to be there myth number eight the longer an airplane stays in a spin the greater the chance of structural damage no 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 reality the spin itself is a relatively low g maneuver a normal upright spin, for example, imposes essentially one G on the pilot in the airplane. If you're driving in your car or sitting in an office chair right now, or generally a human being on planet Earth, you're experiencing one G. And that's kind of the amazing part about being in these spins that I have with, uh, with, the, with the students that, I, that I'm giving this training to, is it doesn't feel like what they expect it to feel like. It is during the pullout following the spin recovery where a significant G-load could be generated. It's up to the pilot to manage the G-load to stay within design limits during the pullout. This is where I generally see the students uh, feeling the most discomfort is on the recovery. They're not used to pulling G. But in the Cessna 172, or at least in your normal category airplanes, you have up to 3.8 Gs. In your utility category airplanes, you got 4.4. And in the aerobatic world, I'm not really pulling more than 4 Gs in the super decathlon anyway. So you have a lot of G available to you in the airplane. And the longer your nose down on the recovery phase, the more energy you're going to be building in the form of airspeed, which makes more G available to you. So be careful on those pulls to not use more g than you need but use as much as you need when you've
1: recovered and you get to the point where you're going to have to add power uh i remember this when we were in the decathlon that you recovered from the spin we were nose down because you we had pushed the stick forward we were back to uh the wings were flying again and you had to add power and apply back pressure to get us back to level flight and i remember yes that was a significant g-force feeling
0: Yeah, and it all depends on how hard you, the pilot, are pulling, and then once you have uh, the nose coming through the horizon towards the uh, nose up attitude, that's when you want to re-add that power to go for that VY climb. Cool. Next. Myth number nine. Since most accidental spins occur too low for recovery, spin training is a useless exercise. Wow. Wow. Reality. This myth might be true if pilots were suddenly waking up and finding themselves spinning in an airplane. The typical stall-spin accident is not a sudden, random event devoid of pilot participation. Instead, it is largely a pilot-driven process that culminates in a stall or spin prior to ground impact. Stall-spin accidents evolve as a chain of events with warning signs that, if recognized and corrected, can be broken before reaching the spin. Proficiency in the elements of a comprehensive scenario-based stall spin training program should provide pilots with the awareness and skills to prevent an accidental spin departure in the first place. One of the things that I say early in the spin training that I do with pilots is that you are not learning this to go out with your friends and go spin your 172. No, you are learning this to learn how to be aware and avoid the spin. And if you fail at those first two tasks, how to recover effectively, that's the purpose of this quality spin training. So spin training is definitely not useless.
1: Rob, quick question on that. If, if there wasn't spin training, and I understand the FAA got rid of it uh, for private, uh, how long ago was it? Couple decades ago, when I
0: got my private, yeah, uh, it was eighteen. Uh, sorry, fifteen. No, years not ago. when you got your private, but oh.
1: the but the, the FAA no longer requires nineteen forty nine. Okay,
0: yeah. So
1: so it's been a for few years. they private. still
0: required it for CFI.
1: Got it. Right, right, right. So, um, my my question is, if students weren't taught how to recover from a spin, um, how many do you think would inadvertently get into a spin in their career?
0: Um, It'd probably be a very, very high number. It'd be a much higher number than it is now. Um, And it's still the leading contributor to loss of control in flight. Loss of control in flight is the number one... Uh, factor in, in accidents for general aviation and commercial flight, and the aerodynamic stall is the number one contributing factor to loss of control in flight. The things that were killing us in the 1920s are the things that are killing us in the 20-teens and will probably continue to kill us in the 2020s uh, unless people start waking up from this, this this fear of stalls and this fear of spins. And uh, I, we've talked about that on on previous episodes as well.
1: And is are most of those stall spin accidents uh, based to final?
0: A so. lot of them are, yeah. The majority are, are uh, below traffic pattern altitude, whether they're during takeoff or on approach to landing. Got it. Got it. All right, myth number 10. Pilots with more experience are better at avoiding fatal stall spins than pilots with less experience. Uh, reality. If more experience means higher flight times and more advanced certificates and ratings, then this assertion is false. A study by the AOPA Air Safety Foundation revealed that student pilots who made up 15% of active pilot population during the years 1993-2001 to were involved in just 4% of the fatal stall spins, a better showing than even airline transport pilots. Private and commercial pilots, on the other hand, made up 61% of the active pilots, but were involved in 83% of the fatal stall spin accidents. Well, now, is that solo student pilots, though? Because if student it pilots... Just, yeah, uh, it doesn't differentiate between solo and dual, but...
1: But if student pilots are with an instructor, then, of course, there's probably much more, a much higher chance that they're not going to get into a stall spin situation. Whereas if you're a private and
0: you're solo... I can understand that. Oh, yeah, and uh, having that second set of eyes to understand where the edge of the envelope is will help in uh, in avoiding flight beyond the edge of the envelope and, and avoiding the stall and avoiding the accidental spin. Uh, however, here, I would certainly make the argument that student pilots solo... Yeah, that the accident statistics for student pilots uh, was based on, on solo flight. And that if there was an accident that involved stall spin, it would be lumped into the uh, uh, private or commercial, as flight instructors are commercially rated pilots. Wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, myth number 11. As a whole, flight instructors are well qualified to teach stalls and spins. Reality. Even though flight instructor applicants receive logbook endorsements certifying that they are competent to teach spins, published studies and anecdotal evidence reveal that flight instructors nationwide tend neither to be well trained in stall spin dynamics nor to have sufficient hands on experience with spins to be able to provide meaningful spin training. When I was at Kent, um, I remember my CFI training. I had already been flying tailwheel and aerobatics for a year. By the time I was in my CFI training. And when I went up with my CFI for the spin flight, we went up in a 152 because that's what the school had. And their 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 teaching on the ground was uh inadequate to, to put it lightly. And so we would kind of turn those lessons into more like discussions, uh, piecing together what little I knew at the time and uh, what they knew at the time. And we came up with a better outcome. And then we went up and, and we flew the airplane and we did our spin flight and we went through all these different uh, different entries and 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 how the recovery should go. And at the end of the flight, the flight instructor said to me, I learned more on this flight than I did when I did my CFI and I said, well, what was your spin plate? Like And said, so we went up and we did uh, one power off entry and one power on entry. And then we came back and that was it. And it was maybe three turns total and I went, that's amazing because we did at least 20 turns in, in all separate in all different spins, uh, but on, on our one flight. Um, but that was enough for a CFI to sign off another CFI and say, I have given, and the CFI has demonstrated adequate knowledge in in the uh, uh, recovery of spends. I can't remember exactly what the endorsement says right now, but that was all it took at that point. And then the FAA didn't require any further demonstration on the FAA checkride. Now, if a CFI candidate goes to the FAA for their checkride and does not have that endorsement, they have to demonstrate that they know how to recover from a spin on their CFI check ride, and not to necessarily degrade the FAA. Um, but there's only a handful of the guys that I have flown with members of the FAA that I have flown with, who were comfortable in that regime, but they had to maintain their spin currency in order to give CFI check rides now this was a couple of years ago and they the FAA has recently opened CFI check rides up to DPEs the designated pilot examiners uh and you're you're getting people who are in the aerobatic world in the com- competitive aerobatic world who are DPEs and able to give those check rides and um they they have a little more of a focus on uh of awareness and avoidance for that even if an applicant shows up with the endorsement and uh and, and That in itself is going to be a safeguard to make the industry safer and really making sure, even though a DPE is not allowed to give dual, is not allowed to give instruction during a a checkride, an examination, they can really needle and they can really dig to see what the CFIs know. And and from there, uh, after the checkride is over, be able to offer uh feedback and, and constructive criticism and brief this the CFI the train uh, who is training the applicant uh and then they they publish uh a lot of them publish um kind of like a research paper of findings things that they're seeing on the check rides that are hot spots or areas where they're seeing a lot of deficiencies and they want people to be able to focus on and work on more and so that that feedback loop is is helping all of us really understand uh even better it's just one piece of this pie
1: it's just amazing to me that that you know while there's we all kind of stress out about check rides and you know upsetting your cfi et cetera, et cetera. but the the openness in aviation is great i mean what you were just talking about with them publishing information on what people need to work on but also um you know just just the nasa forums for example uh Real. you know when there's when there's an incident you can you can self-report that incident and and most of the time or majority of the time avoid any retaliation for it um I, i'm sure i know there's different levels but um <laughs> You know, it's just it's to me that's kind of amazing right it just it just goes to show you that all of this is really about safety
0: yeah and it's we want people to be okay sharing their mistakes and I think I said earlier or on an earlier episode um, you know what not to do in an airplane as told by Rob or or you know learn about mistakes from me and uh, flying magazine I think it is, or flight training magazine one of them has the uh, has the, the um, I learned about flying from that. Uh, article segment where people write in and tell their stories about what's happened to them in an airplane and how they got through it Uh, but if you experience something that you don't understand and I had my own events where I didn't understand where I went wrong you know I thought I was good I thought I was safe I, I was above stall speed and and all of a sudden I'm stalled and i didn't understand why and so i get to be a four-year-old and i get to ask more knowledgeable people well why did this happen and 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 you really get into the nitty-gritty and you get to learn more from that and that's that's a good thing myth number 12. spins can be hard on airplanes gyro instruments Oh, this is a this is a good one. So reality, the claim is often cited as the reason why a particular instructor or flight school cannot provide spin training in an airplane approved for spins. According to senior gyroscope technicians at TGH Aviation in Auburn, California, an aviation instrument can and overhaul facility with more than fifty years and several hundred thousand gyroscopes of experience behind it. They say. In general, there would be no additional wear factors on either an Attitude Gyro or a Directional Gyro caused by spins. While the Attitude Gyro, if not caged and of the type not designed for a full 360 degrees of movement, would hit the mechanical stops and would experience gimbal lock, this would not result in any appreciable additional wear beyond what is normally expected. As for the turn coordinator, we have seen evidence that this instrument can realize negative effects in an aircraft that has experienced excessive flat spins. As not many pilots are purposely inducing flat spins on a regular basis in airplanes equipped with turn coordinators, such negative effects would be a rare occurrence. Now, flat spins killed goose, right? Yep. Now, a flat spin in a general aviation airplane, there's only really two ways to get into them. I just drop my phone. There's only two ways to get into them. Number one is power. You would have to enter the spin, apply full power, and a couple of the control inputs to kind of make sure that the airplane gets to a very nose uh, level attitude level with the horizon wait that's getting into a spin energy aircraft uh this is flat spin oh flat spin okay yeah, flat, flat spin. spin okay and if you go to an air show you may see them doing multiple rotations in the airplane in a very flat attitude listen to the power it's way up there and you're using you're using the principles of, of gyroscopic precession in order to keep the airplane up there um And the other way to get into a flat spin is with a too far aft CG loading of the weight and balance of the airplane. Well, those are generally unrecoverable spins. So you're not really gonna get excessive because that airplane's gonna impact the ground. And normally, Aerobatic airplanes aren't equipped with turn coordinators or not I don't want to say turn coordinators uh, but r- rate of turn indicators uh, to experience that side-to-side hit of the gyro so that's a big reason why a lot of flight schools say, "Oh, it's hard on the gyros um, Not according to TGH aviation in Auburn, California, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it Now that doesn't mean I want you going out there spending your 172s your Moonies your bananas your Pipers. No No Find a qualified CFI with an aerobatic airplane at a qualified school. Get on IAC.org and uh, they have a a selector there. Find a school and they're listed by state. Go get yourself some quality instruction on this. All right. Now, that's all 12 of the published stall spin myths.
1: Now, Rob, just like our episode 13, Mm, things with 13 13 in them are. are hard to find but i see on the third page there's a 13th myth
0: you are correct matt there (laughs) is a bonus myth here and we did allude to this a little bit earlier mandatory spin training this is the myth this is the bonus myth mandatory spin training was deleted because more pilots were being killed during spin training than the training was supposed to remedy absolute falsehood reality evidence supporting this claim has yet to be found in official records In fact, the 1949 amendment that deleted mandatory spin training for all but flight instructor applicants states that the stall was the most dangerous maneuver for pilots. Hence, a new emphasis was being placed on stall prevention and recovery training. The amendment did not mention spin training accidents at all. Consider this as well. If spin training really was as dangerous as the myth suggests, why has the FAA continued to require it of CFI applicants over the decades? If it's dangerous, why do we still have to do it anyway?
1: And considering that almost, I'd say at least 90%, you would know this, the statistic, but a majority of airline pilots were at one point CFIs, yes?
0: Oh uh, Yeah, absolutely.
1: So they've all had this spin training, and they're all still flying. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'd be losing future airline pilots left yep. and right.
1: Yep. That is not the reason for the pilot shortage. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've got time for uh, for two online questions. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, number one kind of relates to this, and uh, it's actually my question. Um, I went and posted it online three minutes ago, so that I could then ask it. <laughs> That's cheating, Matt. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, They're going to be able to go back and check the timestamp. <laughs> They'll know when we recorded this. <laughs> so, a uh, a multi engine plane in a spin does reducing power on one engine while keeping the other engine at full power impact the spin at all, either
0: positively or negatively. Oh, you get into a multitude of problems there. Uh, power right a on rudder neutral opposite elevator forward is still going to be your best recovery, uh, technique there. So both engines coming back, uh, when you introduce, um, thrust on one side or the other. Yeah, you are adding a little more yaw authority to that, but you could also be introducing, um, uh, Gyroscope or precession, as well as differing lifting forces over that wing because the engine is actually mounted on the wing that could uh induce a rolling moment to this as well or an even stronger rolling moment uh and and really uh aggravate the characteristics of uh of the spin uh and then in the recovery, now you have an asymmetric thrust which is going to create a yaw that you' got to try and of con- you know so it could snap off into the other direction even stronger. Uh, so power idle, ailerons, neutral rudder, opposite, elevator forward, and uh, then neutralize the controls. This is another big key. Neutralize the controls once the spin is done, and then roll wings level, recover from the dive, go for a VY climb afterwards. Uh, so take- if I'm in a multi-engine airplane uh, and I enter, like a,
1: a let's say, left rudder uh, spin, I couldn't just open the left door, apply full power to engine one, and get out of it without
0: using the rudder? Uh, Okay, so you kind of have to start asking yourself what the likely scenarios for a multi-engine airplane to enter a spin are. And for the most part there, it's going to be because you've already had an engine failure, so you have an asymmetric thrust being produced that's causing the yaw and now you get into what's mm-hmm. known as uh, VMC. Uh, Visual minimum no no, 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 no. So velocity minimum control. Gotcha. And it's where you no longer have the control authority to overpower the asymmetric thrust that's being produced on the airplane. Uh, and the recovery from that is power down, nose down. You have to get that power off because the thrust is what's creating the problem.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, So entering a spin in a multi-engine airplane on base to final, that could happen by you just being slightly uncoordinated
0: and losing an engine? Uh, you're generally not going to have power on during that, yeah. that, uh, that approach. It's yeah, more true. like the, the bigger hazard is going to be on climb-out, on takeoff. So you've got full power applied on both engines. One engine comes back, the airplane starts to yaw and roll, and you start uh, to put in corrective input. Yeah. and So at that point, in the, your, your reaction on the aileron
1: could be make or break on that.
0: Uh, aileron, rudder, and the nose attitude. Uh, but, yeah, if you're, if you're uh, at or below VMC, you need to get that throttle off you got to get it off or you are going to, got you're it. going to lose control of that airplane very, very quickly.
1: Got it. Is that one of the reasons why? And again, I have no multi-engine experience, but is that one of the reasons why I've heard that if you lose an engine on takeoff, sometimes it's best to, to just kill the other one.
0: Yeah. Uh, if, uh, it, it, and when we brief on the takeoff, uh, what we're going to do if we're above VMC below VMC, uh, and, uh, You know, Gear up gear down what altitude we talk about all those things. Hmm. So I mean that could be a topic for a whole nother day is uh, minimum control or uh, On the on the multi-engine side of things.
1: Sounds good final question of the night Then we got to get going Uh, if a Cessna all of a sudden a Cessna 172 all of a sudden found itself at 30,000 feet With power off could it glide down to the ground?
0: Yeah uh Always. (laughs) (laughs) you, always. <laughs> be- <laughs> yeah, but it, so, so the ceiling is, is well below that, but that's an engine issue, correct? That's not, Mainly, power... yeah, it, be, it becomes a power issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're up at 30,000 feet and you have no thrust, you're coming down anyway. Now, indicated airspeed is the speed that the airplane feels, is, is the velocity of the relative wind that the airplane feels. Now your true airspeed at 30,000 feet to get your 65 knots, is going to be more like a hundred and fifty a hundred and sixty True airspeed. The airplane doesn't care about the true airspeed. It only cares what it feels So yeah, you would need oxygen. You would need to have an engine that was capable of running up there whether it was turbocharged or a turboprop or whatever uh, but I could probably find an example of an airplane with a very similar wingspan uh, to the 172 that's even carrying more weight than the 172, and they fly up there just fine with mm-hmm. adequate thrust and with adequate velocity. So, if a wing needs 65 knots to maintain best glide, you use your pitch to hold that 65.
1: So, my guess is, if you were looking at a 172 coasting down from or gliding down from from 30,000 feet, the pitch attitude, if you were in an airplane to the left of it, would probably be much more nose down than what you would typically see at 5,000 feet.
0: Uh, that that's speed? a fantastic. That's uh, a fantastic question, and um, I don't think it would honestly be that much different because it comes down to dynamic pressure, which is just a fancy word for for airspeed. But dynamic pressure uh, has to do with the density of the air. So,
1: but the, I mean, the it, trim, the trim would at least,
0: the trim at least would be different. Uh, For sure. No, not necessarily no? because no. the trim works on dynamic pressure So if we think about the lift equation lift is coefficient of lift times one half density times velocity squared times the area of the wing The density of the air is going to be really really low So the velocity squared which is actually equivalent airspeed needs to be really really high uh, Which is why you're really you're going to see a change in uh, in true airspeed and if i'm I think the definition of equivalent airspeed is, is true airspeed corrected for the effects of compressibility. I, I, I think. Uh, we don't deal with equivalent airspeed very much in, in our world because our airplanes don't fly that fast. And uh, equivalent airspeed is more used on the engineering side, the design of airplane side of things. So we don't get a lot of work with that. And if I'm wrong, send us an email. Hello at spreadaviation.com. <laughs> We're going to get an email. Well,
1: just to balance that out a little bit, Rob, yeah. um, I'm going to sound smart, too, and just let everybody know that the quadratic formula is X equals negative B plus or minus square root B squared minus 4AC all over 2A.
0: Hillary, did you get that? Is he right? Send me an
1: email. I'm hello at right.
0: spreadaviation.com. dot com. Rob. All right. Rob. I'm
1: Matt. Hello at spreadaviation.com. Follow us on Instagram, Spread Aviation, Twitter. Uh, we'll be posting a lot of stuff, including those 12 myths, up on Twitter over the next few weeks at Spread Aviation. Check us out on Facebook. See
0: ya. Bye. It did it again.